0: afternoon everyone and thank you for um, the beautiful music jacob and miss alice once again for playing the piano that's wonderful amen let's pray father we do thank you for this another beautiful day of spring there is so much life just popping out the flowers all the leaves and then lord in only two weeks we're going to celebrate easter when you defeated sin you proved your god and you rose from the from the dead on easter sunday morning And Jesus, we thank you for the words of these uh, beautiful songs that we were able to look at and sing and listen to and contemplate the words. And this morning, Lord, that you would um, give us ears to hear and, and guide my tongue as we look at a very precious topic from your word. And Jesus, we do all this for your glory and for your honor. Father, thank you for sending your son to die for us and that your Holy Spirit would be with us today. We love you, God. Amen. Today's topic is the fear of the Lord, and we touched on that very briefly last week, and God is a gracious God. He gives us many, many types of grace, and of course, the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, for by grace we're saved through faith unto salvation, and God through his grace gives us a a godly sorrow where we can repent unto salvation. And another grace we're going to look at today is the, the grace of the fear of the Lord. And indeed, it was surprising when I started to look at this, this subject, as the, as the title for this ver, for this lesson says, The Fear of the Lord is His Treasure. And how many times when we were when we were little children, somebody in our family would have a treasure box, or perhaps we even kept a treasure box that had mementos in it, maybe some jewelry, perhaps some money, But it was a treasure box and it was valuable to us. Well, God gives us a glimpse into his treasure and he says the way that we better understand his treasure is through fear of him. And we're going to look at some of the aspects of this fear. This isn't a fear where we crouch down and expecting some kind of. Uh, a discipline or, or you know, like a man can pull out a gun or somebody could whip you or somebody could steal your possessions or break into your home Those are all types of fear of man The fear of god is really from his love And the more we fear the lord the more we draw into him because we realize there's nothing else but god And the ways of the world the ways of the flesh they end up in death But if we fear god the fear turns into love and it draws us to him Isaiah 33 5 and 6 says the Lord is exalted for he dwelleth on high he hath filled Zion with his judgment and righteousness and wisdom and knowledge shall be the stability of our times and s- strength of salvation the fear of the Lord is his treasure So this is where the idea of the fear of the Lord is his treasure comes from it's from this verse the Lord is exalted Even if we don't exalt him in our daily life, if we have patterns of sin, God still is exalted. And everything is for his glory. And he does dwell on high. We know from the Bible that the sides of the north ascend into heaven. And at the top of the the sides of the north, that's where God's throne is. And it says, He has filled Zion with judgment and righteousness. Zion in the Old Testament was another name for Jerusalem. But in the New Testament, the church family is Zion and here it says he has filled Zion with judgment and righteousness It's only because of God's righteousness that we can even approach the throne through his blood and it says Strength and salvation the fear of the Lord is his treasure. So let's look at this a little bit more Psalm twenty-five fourteen says the secret of the Lord Is with them that fear him and he will show them his covenant and once again Taking yourselves back to when you were small and children, didn't you just love to know a secret? Or even today, maybe there's some gossip that's a secret that you're just dying to know. Well, God is saying the secret of the Lord is with them that fear Him. If we want to know God's secrets, fear Him. And then He starts to reveal Himself to us. It says He will show them His covenant. And of course, that begs the question, what is the covenant of God? The covenant of God is his unbreakable promise. In the Old Testament, it was evidenced by the law and the foretelling of Jesus' coming. And in the New Testament, it's the covenant of grace. And that's how we have salvation, the covenant of grace. Proverbs 129 says, for that they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. So here we see that fear of the Lord is a choice. Just like we have lifestyle choices, There's many things in our society that are bad. The homosexual community, that's a lifestyle choice. So here God is saying, you have the choice to choose the fear of him. And the people that hate knowledge, the Bible says, knowledge of the holy is understanding. People that hate the knowledge of the Bible, they reject the Bible. Those are the people that do not choose the fear of the Lord. Isaiah 66, 1 and 2 says, thus saith the Lord, the heaven is my throne. And the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you can build me? And where is the place of my rest? For all those things have my hand made, and all those things have been, saith the Lord. But to this man will I look. This is the man who God will consider. Even to him that is poor, that means humble, and of a contrite spirit, and trembles at my word. Jesus is saying in these verses, I've made everything. I made the heaven, I made the earth. What could you ever make for me? In fact, everything that you have is from the blessings from me. But he says, I will consider certain people of you, and the ones that I will consider, even to him that is poor, not, not poor in money, but poor in spirit, a humble. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. And a contrite spirit. contrite spirit is somebody who comes to the Lord, and he's broken and grieved over his sins. And somebody who trembles at God's word. We have many examples in the Bible of people who trembled at God's word. When we consider John, God gave John, the the apostle John, the book of Revelation. And he was fearful. He fell on his face. We think of Isaiah when he was given the prophecies to preach. He said, oh, I am of an unclean lip. We think of Daniel, the great men of God. They trembled in the presence of God. First Peter 1 16 and 17 says because it is written be ye holy for I am holy And if you call on the father who without respect of persons judges according to every man's work pass the time of your sojourn sojourning here in fear So God is saying I'm holy be you holy If you want to approach me, you have to be holy. You have to have a holy lifestyle and he says He has no respect of persons so, just because you might give a lot of money to a charity, that doesn't necessarily give you any upper hand or a better position with God. He has no respect of persons. We think of Luke 16 when the rich man died and lifted up his eyes in hell, and Lazarus was the poor street beggar, and he was in paradise. And he says, Past the time of your sojourning here in fear. Our sojourn is our life. How many years do we have? 50, 60, 70, 90, whatever the number is. Our journey, our sojourn on the earth, God is saying, pass that in fear. Now we're going to look at the differences between the fear of God and the fear of man. Because they are very distinct. The fear of man is when we're thinking we might be hurt or we're going to suffer a loss. The fear of God is just the opposite. The more we fear God, the more he blesses us and the more we're benefited. Proverbs 8.13 says, the fear of the Lord. Now here, this is the practical Where the rubber meets the road, how do we apply the fear of the Lord in our life is to hate evil, hate pride, hate arrogancy, and the evil way. Many people have an evil way today. God hates that. The froward mouth do I hate. A froward mouth is somebody who lies, somebody who curses, somebody who blasphemes, somebody who gossips, somebody who tears people down. God hates that. Proverbs 16.6 says, By mercy and truth, iniquity is purged. Iniquity is sin. It's purged from our lifestyle. By mercy and God's truth. The word of the Bible is the truth of God. And he says, By the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. The more we fear God, the more the temptations of that sin melt away. They no longer have a purpose in our life. Because God's... Power and presence supplants anything that might be desirous from the world that, of course, is of sin. Proverbs 29-25 says, The fear of man brings a snare, but whoso putteth his trust in the Lord shall be saved. A snare is something that brings capture, like sin can capture us, and ultimately a snare ends up in death. If you catch a small animal in a snare... It's usually for the purpose to eat it. Sin, the wages of sin, is death. And the sin is a snare. But God says, whoso puts his trust in the Lord shall be safe from those snares of sin. Romans 8.15 says, For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. When we receive the spirit of, a, of salvation, you must be born again of water and of the spirit. That Holy Spirit redemption is not a fear, but rather we're adopted into God's family. And now we can go to father and say, Abba, father, will you please help me in this area? And just like little children go to their parents and they, they need things and they sometimes they want things. They don't go to the neighbor house. They go to their parents. And that gives us the freedom to come to Abba Father with any need that we might have. 1 John 4, 18 and 19 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear has torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. So the fear, normal fears bring torments. For example, if you were in your house alone and it's nighttime, midnight, and you hear some strange noises downstairs, that will immediately grip your heart with fear. And God says the fear of God does not have that. There is no torment in the fear of God. And it says, He that feareth is not made perfect in love, but God is love, so he perfects his love in us. And the fear that we have of God is a different type of fear than a fear of man. I quote at the bottom of the first page, it says... The fear of God is the soul of godliness. We all have a soul. And by our souls, it defines what we are. We might like pizza. We might have a joyous, a quiet person. All of the attributes that we have in our soul are reflected in how we live our life. This author, John Murray, says godliness has a soul. And the soul of godliness is the fear of of God. And that's a great point. So there's a difference between reverence and fear. Many people say they have a reverential awe of God, and that's all they need. But that's not really true. Because many people can say, I'm in awe of God, and continue to live in adultery, for example. They can have an awe of God, but that awe of God never gives them a fear to leave their sin. And God says there is a difference. In Job 4, 14 and 15, it says, Fear came upon me. This is Job speaking. Fear came upon me and trembling, which made all my bones to shake. Then a spirit passed before my face and the hair of my flesh stood up. This was the spirit of God passing before him. First Chronicles twenty nine eleven says, Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in heaven and in earth is yours. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, And thou art exalted as head above all. If we were to be brought into the presence of some great dignitary, maybe the president or even the pope, we would have a little bit of, at least I would, a little bit of anxiety or maybe a little bit of peer pressure, fear. But that's not the presence. That's not the kind of fear we have with God. Many times we kind of like brush God's majesty aside. And look at this verse. It defines God. God. There are so many attributes of God, greatness, power, glory, victory, majesty. All of heaven and earth is his. Why wouldn't we have a godly fear of an entity so infinitely powerful, which is our God, Jesus? Proverbs 15 and 16 says, Better is a little with fear of the Lord than great treasure therewith. One of the things as we get older, we realize that the trappings of the world steal our time. And they demand management. If you have a second house, you have a second mortgage, or maybe you paid it off, but you have a second insurance policy, second taxes, you have to do the upkeep. If you have two or three cars, the more things we have in this life, the more wealth we have in this life, the more it takes away from our time. And this is what this proverb is saying. It says, great treasure, and you have trouble therewith. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord, because then our treasures are going to be in heaven. Hebrews 12, 28 says, Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably and with reverence and godly fear. This verse is telling us we should serve God with reverence, which is distinct from godly fear. We should do both. We should have a reverence for God and a godly fear. 1 Peter two seventeen says, Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, Honor the King. You know, Peter, if you read through his, his um books, he's very short and to the point. And yet he's the one in the Bible who seemed to talk the most. But here, this is right to the point. He says, Honor all men, love the brotherhood, your Christian, your fellow Christians, and fear God. Honor the king, the king being the power. In our case, it would be the, the government. The, the federal, the state, and the local governments. Honor them. Do your, pay your taxes and do what's right. Proverbs 14, 26, and 27. In the fear of the Lord is strong confidence, and his children shall have a place of refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to depart from the snares of death. Once again, we see where fearing God is a fountain of life. Just like we need to take in food and drink water on a daily basis. And Jesus' blood is the fountain of life that covers our sins. Jesus is also saying here that it's a fountain that helps us depart from the snares of death. Fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. Let's look at Psalm 33, 18 and 19. Behold, the eye of the Lord is upon them that fear him, upon them that hope in his mercy. To deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. So here's another benefit of the fear of the Lord. God's eye is upon you. All of us have had little children or grandchildren in our life. And when they're like 18 months and they get their wheels and they start to run around, do they get in a lot of trouble? They're opening doors and they're opening cabinets and they're running up and down the stairs. And you have to keep your eye on them. And the reason you keep your eye on them is so they don't hurt themselves. So they don't fall head first down the steps. When God's eye is upon us, it's there to keep us from sin. And there's a verse from Psalm 32. It says, I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way that thou shall go. I will guide thee with mine eye. So God's eye can guide us and God's eye can see into the future. God's eyes can see into the spirit realm where the temptations that flood into our life come from. So another benefit is that God will keep his eye of protection over us. Revelation eleven eighteen says, And the nations were angry, and thy wrath has come, and the time of the dead that they should be judged, and that they should give reward unto thy servants, the prophets, and to the saints, and them that fear thy name, small and great, and shouldest destroy them which destroy the earth. God is saying he will protect the people who fear him, but he's going to destroy those who destroy the earth. Now, this isn't like some protect the earth kind of doctrine God's giving us. The people who destroy the earth, why is the earth under destruction as it is? It's under the curse. When Adam and Eve sinned, God cursed the earth. So the reason the earth is being destroyed is because of our sins, not because of air pollution or or carbon emissions or something like that. And God is saying here, He will destroy them which destroy the earth. He will destroy the sinner in the eternal destruction of the lake of fire. If we're saved, we're not in that group. But we're rather in the group of the saints who are protected from that. God sees everything we do. That's the next point. God sees everything that we do. Our thought lives, the words we speak, because he's everywhere. He's omniscient, and he has all the power, and he's he's in all places. Proverbs 5, 21 and 22 says, For the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he pondereth all his goings. His own iniquities shall take the wicked himself, and he shall be holden with the cords of his sins. We will be responsible for everything we do. And if we don't have a Savior-Redeemer, if we don't have the Lord Jesus as our advocate at the judgment seat, all of those sins will be upon our head. And it says... His own iniquities shall take the wicked. His own sins will put the death sentence of hell and the lake of fire on the sinner. He will be holden with the cords of his sins. The more a person gets involved with sin, the more that sin ties him down. I remember I was at a conference once and this man had this long cord. It was maybe like 20 feet long. It was maybe a quarter of an inch thick he started to wrap around his feet. And he said, this is an example of sin. And he, he was turning and turning. And every time he did a revolution, that cord went up about six inches and it was wrapping him. And by the time he got up to his shoulders, he had kind of wrapped, he, another person came and wrapped and he was, his arms he couldn't even move because they were held by the binds of that cord. And then he said, now push me over person started to push him and somebody had to grab him because he couldn't even keep from falling over. He was trying to point out sin does that to us. The more we're involved with sin, the more that sin winds us around us and binds us, like this verse says, with cords. And eventually we're going to fall over and we can't stop. Only God can step in and unwind that cord of sin from us. This lost person, he shall be holden with the cords of his sins. Proverbs 3, 7 says, Be not wise in your own eyes, fear the Lord, and depart from evil. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Get your wisdom from God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's where we should be drawing our wisdom from. And it's interesting, that verse says, is the beginning of wisdom. If I were going to travel to New York City today, I would have to walk through the front doors, walk out to my car, and get on the highway and head north. I wouldn't be in New York City in five minutes. It's a long drive. Our life is a long journey. It doesn't end in one year. So the fear of the Lord is the beginning of your journey with Christ. And fearing God is just the first step. How much wisdom do you want to take in and drink in? If you're going to be a CPA, you have to study accounting for many years and then take this difficult test. Even then, when you start out into your career... You're just beginning the journey into success. The same thing with the Word of God. We need to study the Bible and put His Word of life into our soul every day. Galatians 6, 7, and 8 says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to the flesh shall reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. God is not mocked. You know, all of these people that are on television and late night shows and comedy clubs and like Bill Maher on on HBO, where they're just really mocking Jesus. They just think it's a big joke. Their day of reckoning is coming because God is not mocked. What you sow, you reap. If I plant tomatoes in my garden, I'm not going to get an apple tree. And when you plant sins law of sowing and reaping you always reap more than you sow for example you put one seed of a watermelon, I read this week where when that watermelon is mature it weighs 250,000 times as much as the seed that's called the law of sowing and reaping we always get more from what we sow which comes harvest time think about tomatoes, one tomato seed thousands of tomato seeds on that plant over the life of that plant the same thing with sin. We don't know where sin will, t- will carry itself with us down the stream. Hebrews four thirteen says, "Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do." So it says here: there's not any creature that is not made manifest, that's not made apparent, that that's not made right in front of God. Even in the dark, God can see in the dark. Everything we do is made manifest before the Lord. Our thoughts, our attitudes, the things we hold dear in our heart. It might be bitterness and it might be love. God knows both. The fear of the judgment seat of, of Christ. This is another fear we should have. Matthew ten twenty-eight says, And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. When Jesus rose from the grave on Easter Sunday morning, he took the keys of death and hell away from Satan. Up to that point, God had allowed Satan to have the keys of death and hell. Now Jesus has them. And again, this points out the distinction between a fear of man and a fear of God. We can have a fear of man because somebody could walk in and shoot us. Somebody can rob our house. Somebody can steal our car. There are many ways we can fear man. But God says, don't fear man. Fear me, because I am able to kill the soul and destroy the soul and body in hell. A, a thief that breaks into your house cannot do that. They only can kill your body. And our body's like a suit anywhere; Anyway, it's temporary. Once we die, it goes in the grave. It disintegrates, dust unto dust. But our soul is eternal. So the fear of the Lord ought to make us bring us into a state of repentance, even when we sin, at any time. The more we fear the Lord, the more we're not going to want to sin, and the more we, when we do sin, the more we're going to want to be reconciled right away with God. We don't want to carry that in our conscience for a day, a week, and a month. And that's an example for people in real life, too. If you get upset with your husband, your wife, your son, your daughter, your neighbor, the residents here, just make it right don't carry it on for a week or two. just get it right 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 away. Matthew 12:36 says, "But I say unto you every idle word you speak, they will give an account thereof in the day of judgment. And I always think about idle as like in the winter time when I lived in Wisconsin, I would turn my car on and then go back in the house because it was like 10 below zero and that car would take 10 minutes to warm up and the engine was idling. And while that engine idles, it's burning gas. It's not taking me anywhere. And that's the way most of our words in life are. They're not productive. They're idle words. They're consuming our energy. They're consuming our time. But they're not carrying us anywhere. And God says in this verse that every idle word we speak, we have to give an account thereof. Romans 8.1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Most of us Christians, we claim this verse. There's no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. I heard a message this week from a pastor, and he pointed out that we focus on the no condemnation, but the second part says, who walk not after the flesh? It's almost conditional. There's no condemnation as long as you're not walking in the flesh. But if you're walking in the flesh, which is sin, maybe you're under God's condemnation. You need to consider the full verse. Romans fourteen eleven and 12 says, For as it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. Those people who blaspheme and shake their fists at God, their knees will bow. And if they don't, if they don't do it under their own will, God rules with a rod of iron. And we don't want to be hit with a rod of iron. It hurts. Any of us who've worked with rebar and construction, <laughs> rods of iron, they're they're not forgiving. Second Corinthians five, eleven and ten and eleven says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that every one may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. But we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. This verse is saying we're all going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. What really is jumping out from the page is knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord. The judgment seat is not going to be a time when we sit down and have popcorn and watch our favorite movie. It's going to be a time of terror. Because we have to give an account for everything we've done in the body. Revelation 12, 20, 12 says, And I saw the dead. Now, before I read this verse, just understand, this verse is talking about the great white throne, the people who are lost, the people who never received Jesus as God, as their Savior. It says, And I saw the dead, small and great. That could be the president, that could be some street person, that could be a seven-foot-tall basketball player or some midget in a circus, small and great. Positions in life, God he's no respecter. And he says, stand before God. And the books were opened. Books with an S. Those are the books where God has written down everything we've ever done in our life. Every thought, every attitude, God has that in a book. And it says, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. So we see this big stack of books here, and that's everything we've ever done. And then there's one book over here, and that's the book of life. And if your name is in the book of life, you're in heaven. If your name is not written in the book of life, you will be cast into the lake of fire. Can't you envision the people at the great white throne and they're seeing all of the deeds they've done in their body and all of these books, and then they're looking longingly at that book of life and they're saying, no, 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 recording angel, just look for my name. It's in there. Just look again, double check. And God's going to say, No. Your name is not in the book of life. Depart from me, ye who work iniquity. And this verse goes on to say, And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to the works. So this verse is also teaching us that hell has degrees of punishment, just as heaven has degrees of reward. The next point, fear the false gospel of convenience and works-based righteousness. In America... We have a false gospel that says, your best life now. God doesn't say the best life now in the Bible. It's nowhere in the Bible. In fact, he says, take up your cross and follow me. Our best life is when we get to heaven, not now. Ezekiel 22, 26 to 27 says, giving you a little bit of background, we touched last week on Ezekiel. Ezekiel lived about 600 years before Jesus. He was one of the great prophets, Isaiah, Ezekiel, and Jeremiah. And God took him up to Babylon, and he mentioned these visions. God had already judged the lower two kingdoms, I mean the lower two tribes. Assyria had already conquered the northern ten tribes, and now God is saying, you're going to be conquered. Babylon is going to come in and conquer and totally decimate Jerusalem. Part of the reason is, the priests were evil at this time. They were leading the Israelites in idolatry, and God was so angry, he had already judged them. Listen to these these verses in that context. Her priests have violated my law and have profaned mine holy things. They have put no difference between holy and profane. Neither have they showed any difference between the unclean and the clean. And they have hid their eyes from my Sabbaths. And I have profaned among them. For princes in the midst of them are like wolves ravening the prey to shed blood and to destroy souls to get dishonest gain. The preachers and the priests of that day were misleading the Israelites to get money. Dishonest gain. That's exactly what's happening in the world today. And in particular in America. These false preachers are wolves in sheep's clothing. And they're leading souls to hell. And it's because they're tickling the ears of the people who want to hear about this good gospel message. They never preach hell. They never preach preach redemption. They only preach your best life now. Matthew 7.15 says, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly are ravening wolves. Ravening, somebody who wants to kill and destroy. That's Satan. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy. That's what a ravening wolf does. And he does it mostly, if you study this topic, it's a very interesting topic. The false prophets fall into two categories, or sometimes they have a foot in both camps. One is they're after filthy lucre, or the other one is they're after illicit sex and they fall into one of those two camps or both. And that's why so often we read about these pastors of these mega churches getting caught stealing or having adulterous affairs, something like that. That's the mark God puts on them from the Bible. Romans 16 talks about this, 17 and 18. Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned, and avoid them. We should not be going to one of those churches. Avoid them. And it says, For they that are such serve not, they serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, the own lusts of the flesh. And by good words and fair speeches, deceive the hearts of the simple. The simple is somebody who doesn't have all the information, the simple is somebody who doesn't have the knowledge of the word. The simple person can be tricked, it's just like a little child. I told you before when my daughter was sitting on the couch and she was like two or three years old. I, I went and took my finger and pulled her, you know, fake like I pulled her nose off. And she said, Daddy, she started to cry, Daddy, Daddy, put my nose back on my face because you can deceive a little child. And so many people that go to, ch- to church, they're like little children, they don't have knowledge of the word and they're easily duped, they're easily deceived. Second Peter 2 1 and 2 says. But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, bought them with his blood. They even deny the deity of Jesus Christ and bring upon themselves swift destruction. You know what that judgment seat? Their judgment will be swift. God doesn't have to take a second to think about the lake of fire for them and it says and many shall follow their pernicious ways pernicious being evil many will follow these false preachers by reason of whom the way of the truth shall be evil spoken of they take the truth and they turn it into vile evil and that's a blasphemy of the holy spirit here's another thing to fear fear hell and eternal damnation in the lake of fire psalm 145:20 says The Lord preserves all them that love him, but all the wicked will he destroy. Now, this destruction is not instant. It's eternal. Remember in the book of Revelation in chapter 20, after the battle of Armageddon, the beast and the false prophet, they're human beings. They're cast into the lake of fire. They're actually the first two entities, beings, that go into the lake of fire, And then later it says, And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire, where the false prophet and the beast are. Are. That's present tense. So it's a thousand years later, and they're still burning in the lake of fire, where the beast and the false prophet are, and shall be tormented day and night, forever and ever. That is a sad, sad ending for the unbeliever. Matthew thirteen forty nine and 50 says, So shall it be at the end of the world. The angels shall come forth and sever the wicked from among the just and shall cast them into the furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. God will separate the sheep from the goats. And this verse is one of the many, many verses in the Bible that talk about that. And it calls it a furnace of fire. A furnace is hot. When I was a little child, my grandma had one of those um, furnaces in the basement. It was a wood burning, and then it was coal. And then it was like this round container in the middle of the family room. And in the winter, it was so nice to be around it. But even as a little child, I wouldn't even want to get near it. Because to touch it, you would burn yourself. And that's just a small enclosure where it's not, not even the direct fire because that's coming up from the basement where the actual coal or the wood was burning. And God talks about the lake of fire being like a furnace. It's unbelievable when you consider that. 2 Thessalonians 1, and 9 says, In flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God. We don't have to take vengeance on anybody in our life. Jesus says, Vengeance belongeth unto me. I will recompense. And here... This verse is saying, in flaming fire, taking vengeance. That's a very very bad way to have God's vengeance upon you, in flaming fire. On them that know not God. Do you know God today? Do you know Jesus as your Savior? If you do, you don't have to go into the flaming fire. The people who don't know Jesus, they are the ones who go into the flaming fire. And that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Many people deceive themselves... And they say, I know God. I received him when I was 17 at, at Vacation Bible School. But they obey not the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Those people are not saved. Who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Part of the, the being in the presence of God is being in his glory in heaven. And the people in the lake of fire will never see the glory of God. Jude 5 says, I will therefore put you in remembrance, though ye once knew this, how the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not. There were literally millions of people who came out of Egypt. And God sent the 12 spies into the promised land, and they came back. And 10 of the spies says, whoa, those are giants. We're like grasshoppers in their sight. And they didn't have faith that God could lead them. Caleb and Joshua... They said, no, "No, no, we can go in and we can battle them and win," because of their unbelief. Everybody above the age of twenty, millions of people, their carcasses fell in the wilderness over the next forty years. In fact, Moses died, Aaron died. Only jo- Jacob and Caleb, jo- excuse me, Joshua and Caleb, who were over the age of twenty were allowed into the promised land. That's what this verse 5 is talking about. Afterwards, destroyed them that believed not. This is a picture of the unbeliever being destroyed in the lake of fire. Jude 6 says, And the angels which kept not their first estate, these are the demons, the one-third of the angels who rebelled against God, but left their own habitation. Their habitation being their honoring to God, to praising to God, to worshiping God, to carrying out God's duties that he has for the angels. They're messengers of God, and they left their first estate, their habitation, and he has reserved in everlasting chains under the darkness unto the judgment of the great day. A lot of times when we want to go to a fancy restaurant, and we know it's going to be sold out, especially like on Mother's Day, you have to make a reservation. So you have your seat assigned, you walk in, you say your name, and they say, yes, sir, and bring in how many you have in your, in your group in your group—in six, seven, eight, ten. And you go sit down at your place that's reserved for you. God has a place in the lake of fire reserved for those angels. And they know that. Remember the, the demons that were talking to Jesus and he said, Are you going to send us there before our time? They know the Bible. That's why Satan quoted the, the Bible when he tempted Jesus three times in the wilderness. The demons know the Bible. They probably know it much better than us. Because demons have been around for thousands of years we've only been studying the bible for what 50 60 maybe some of you 80 years miss alice maybe you 90 years our time of studying the bible is limited they know the bible they've been studying it for thousands of years and by the way the demons know everything about me they know everything about my family my parents my grandparents my great 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 grandparents they know the sin patterns and how to tempt me don't you think satan knows how to tempt you He knows our weak spots. That's why we need to put on the full armor of God. Because God's word is stronger than any fiery dart the demons can send our way. Jude 7 says, Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities above them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication, homosexuality, and going after strange flesh. If I'm a man, God designed me for a woman and vice versa. To go anywhere else is called strange flesh. Are set forth as an example. What was the example? God called fire down from heaven and it destroyed them. Everybody. Except for Lot, his wife, and his daughters. Suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. The vengeance that God showed Sodom and Gomorrah and those other small cities that were in that area. They're eternally suffering that fire today. Revelation 20.15 Revelation 20.15 remember the little book over here with all the names written in it and all the other books with all of our deeds in it god says and whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire and then the last the last section we're going to look at today god is good he doesn't give us all of these verses to scare us he doesn't want us to run from him he's giving us these verses to show us the blessings that wait for us in heaven and the consequences of rejecting the blessings. It's by his grace that he's given us the Bible to read. It's by his grace that we have the opportunity to be saved. Serve our Lord Jesus Christ in fear and trembling. Psalm 211 says, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. It's almost like the opposite, and yet God puts that together. Serve the Lord with fear, and when we serve God, that's true joy in our life. It's not like going to a birthday party and then you have to clean up the mess and the, and the cake and the, and the trash. No, when you serve God, that's different than being happy for a brief time. That's true joy. That's true joy. And that comes with the more you fear the Lord, the more joy you will get in serving Him. God's ways are not our ways. Let's face it. This doesn't make sense at all when you, when you logically think about it. But his ways are so far above our ways, we shouldn't even question it. Just say, yes, God, give me this grace that I can fear you more this week. Proverbs 28, 13, and 14 says, He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesses and forsakes them shall have mercy. Happy is the man that fears always, but he that hardeneth his heart shall fall into mischief. Don't cover your sins. I should never cover my sins. Because God already knows them. But God says, if I confess my sins, he's faithful and just to forgive my sins and to cleanse me then from all of those unrighteous things that I've done. Don't cover your sins. it's, it's just going to slow the progress of God's blessing. Matthew 6:33 says, "But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. When we're seeking God, seek His righteousness, seek His holiness, Seek the gifts of the, of the faith, the gifts of the Spirit. Faith, meekness, and temperance. There's like nine of them listed. Seek those things in your daily life. That's God's righteousness. Matthew 24, 12 and 13 says, And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. Life is an endurance. God will bless those who endure to the end. Paul said he was running a race. A lot. It's like a marathon. It's not a sprint. God says endure to the end. He will bless. But some people don't. It says the love of many shall wax cold. There are a lot of people that get on fire for the Lord for a very short period of time. And then the love of God in their life waxes cold. But God is really imploring and pleading with you. Endure to the end. 1 Corinthians 2.3 says, And I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. This is Paul speaking. This is his position, his attitude, his life pouring out to the church at Corinth. He says, I was with you in weakness. God is strong. We're all weak. And in fear of the Lord and in much trembling. God was revealing to him the Bible. He wrote like half the New Testament. And he was in front of God in fear and trembling. And Philippians, the last verse is here today, 12 and th- 2, 12, and 13, says, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which works in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. When we're working out our salvation, it's when we're honoring God. And God has a a will for us. In Ephesians 2, it it says it's the preordained path that God has given us. And God, that's his will. And it says here, to will and to do of his good pleasure. When we're doing God's will for our life, we're doing his good pleasure. And God is good. God is good all the time. He never will leave us unrewarded. If we're serving the Lord and doing God's will, his blessings will flow, both here because of the peace that passes all understanding that we will have in our life, but even more so in eternity in heaven. Let's pray. Father, again, thank you for your word, and this is a very, very serious topic, the fear of the Lord, but God, your word says it's your treasure. The prayer that I have today is that everybody in this room, would seek first your kingdom and your righteousness and to learn more about your treasure, which is the fear. And all of the blessings that flow from being fearful of you, God, you are awesome, you have all the power, all the glory is yours. And we love you, Jesus. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Amen.